0: They crossed, tried to be boss, they wouldn't do. For nobody else gave me a deal. With all your faults, I love you still. Baby, it had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.
1: You sound like you're having a good time.
2: Oh, I had a great time. That last note wasn't the best time of my life, but <laughs> but other than that, I'm having a great time.
1: Up until the one Harry Met Sally album, most of the Harry Connick Jr. stuff was, you know, with just you at the piano That's or right. maybe with a trio. And right. All of a sudden, you know, 30, 40, 50-piece Hollywood studio orchestra. That's right. I remember uh, I got a call. I was in New Orleans. At,
2: I live in New York now, and I was in New Orleans at my father's house, and uh, he told me that Rob Reiner was on the phone, and I thought he was kidding me, you know. I said I pick up the phone and say, Yo, Meathead, what's up, you know? And it turned out really to be him, and he asked me if I wanted to do the soundtrack for, for the movie. You remember the group when Blood, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Oh, of course. Well, the drummer for them, Bobby Columbia, now works for CBS, and he hooked me up with Rob Reiner. And for some weird reason, Rob... Took this unknown person, me, and asked me to do this recording. I was trying to play it cool when I was singing these songs with this orchestra. I had never done it before, and I'm trying to be cool like (laughs) Frank Sinatra, but I was really scared inside.
1: Uh, You say somebody that nobody had ever heard of before, which is a a modest statement to be sure, but I tell you, it's almost impossible to pick up a major uh, magazine or newspaper or trade paper without, uh, you know, reading about Harry Connick, Jr.
2: Well, I've been I think I've been very lucky. I mean, I've sort of surrounded myself. I've been surrounded by people that are really good at what they do. Press people, and I have a CBS is the best record company in the world, and and I have a great manager, anne Marie Wilkins, and I'm just lucky. And and those people—that's their job to, to to get what I want to do heard by as many people as possible.
1: Have you always wanted to sing with a big band? Uh,
2: and, yeah, I've always wanted to do it, but I never thought I'd do it now. I, in fact, I thought uh, this wasn't really supposed to be my album because. Uh, I remember we got a letter from one lady who, who was really upset because this album wasn't the music I- exactly as it was in the movie. Well, Frank Sinatra was in the movie, Bing Crosby, Ray Charles, Ella Fitzgerald. And they Rob Reiner approached, or his office approached all of those people to, to use those songs on this album. And, and for one reason or another, they didn't want to do it. So I started off with doing four songs, and it was five. And then after Ray Charles dropped out, it was six, and then seven. And it turned out to be... It was my third album, you
1: know? Well, it's one of the hottest albums in the country right now, When Harry Met Sally. And uh, Harry Connick Jr. finally is coming to Chicago. Although you were here before, because you were... And I'm trying to remember when it was, a year ago, two years ago? I think it was about two years ago I was at Georgia's. Yeah. I played solo
2: there, and then I came back again, and I and I played it. is it the Park West? Sure. Theater oh, yeah. I, play, I opened up for Grover, Washington there one time. All right. And, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And I've always wanted to come here and play. When they told me I was playing the Chicago Theater, I thought they would get me again,
1: you know? Well, listen, the stage that, that you step out on, on Friday night, January the 19th, is a stage where... The greats, including no, Sinatra.
2: No. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. Well, no, you did. <laughs> You're making me nervous now. In man.
1: fact, when they decided to reopen the Chicago, because, you know, it had fallen into disrepute, as right. a lot of old theaters do. Anyway, they refurbished it. They spent a whole pile of dough uh, to make it a, a better place, a, a, a nicer place, if it could possibly be. Sinatra came back to reopen it. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah, which was a great night.
2: Wow. Too. It's funny about Sinatra because... It wasn't. My daddy and mother used to own a record shop back in the in the late 50s to put themselves through law school. And of course, Sinatra was big. I guess all the way. I guess he was real. He's still big now. Anyway, um, they kept a lot of those old records, and I sort of grew up with him. But I didn't really start listening to him until I started to to sing and use my voice correctly. I used to imitate uh, Louis Armstrong, and but when I grew old, I started to sing in my normal voice, and then. I could relate to Sinatra because he had a, a similar range. He was a baritone who sort of wanted to be a tenor. I, I told Tony <laughs> Bennett one time, I wish I was a tenor, you know, those Italian tenors. But I, but uh, Sinatra's uh, people, uh, even though I don't pay much attention to it, sometimes I guess compare me to him because he's like the biggest in his field and I'm the only person in my field doing this now and to be, when you met, I, I knew you are going to say Sinatra <laughs> when, and I get so nervous because he's so great, you know.
1: This Harry Connick Jr., who will be here in Chicago next Friday in performance at the Chicago Theater, dropped in to visit with us uh, Wednesday morning and it was so refreshing. Wait till you hear him talk uh, about his early life and his, I love the way these Southern guys always say, my daddy. I mean, they never say, pa or dad or my father. It's always, My daddy. And his daddy. Well, he'll tell you all about him in a minute. By the way, Harry Connick Jr. not only plays the piano and sings, but you enjoy talking to the audience. Yeah, I think that's very
2: important. You know, I mean, uh, you mentioned, well, I think we might have been off the air, but the demographics on the show are so wide. I mean, on your show and my show. Right, right. Uh, they go from. I found that on this, when Harry met Sally tour, the first 10, 15 rows are all young girls really you know <laughs> Well, there's
1: nothing wrong with that. Well, nothing <laughs> wrong
2: with that at all in my opinion. <laughs> and uh and it's they they understand the lyrics as you say and it's and I like talking to them because uh because they, I mean they, they don't pay the twenty or however much many dollars it is to come see me to hear the album as the album is exactly. They want to get to know you a little bit and a lot of jazz musicians don't seem to understand that and that's one of the reasons I think jazz became unpopular because jazz and rock and roll split around the time Bebop came around. You know, big band music was entertaining, it was danceable, it was swing, it was pumping, uh and then Bebop came around and there was no lyrics. It was fast, it was more introspective. And that's about the same time that people like Elvis Presley came around and said, we might not be Charlie Parker, but we sure as hell are going to entertain the crowd. So jazz has now become completely obscure, and rock and roll has dominated the, the popular music scene. So hopefully I can go combine the entertainment aspect of it, which I've always done, and, and try to attempt to play some good music, which I've tried to do too.
1: Do you ever feel that you might incur the, the wrath of uh, some of the jazz musicians who uh, don't like the idea of being an entertainer as well as a jazz Oh, they,
2: they hate it. They used to call Louis Armstrong and Uncle Tom all the time. They used to they used to say that all the time about a lot of musicians. Uh, but, but I'm from New Orleans, and Louis Armstrong's from New Orleans, and I'm not nearly on his level, but we entertain down there. We tap dance, we sing, we make the audience clap. They come That Music should be fun. That's a time for everybody to forget about their work, forget about what you do during the day. Come and listen and, and, and get your ears blasted off by a 30-piece orchestra, you know?
1: Was there a time now, let's see, uh, Harry Connick Jr. is 22, he's been performing for years. Uh, Has there been a time when you've been on stage and you have not been well-received where people didn't really comprehend what you were doing? Can I be be
2: totally honest with you? Oh, I want you. It was here in Chicago, it was at the Park West, and I was opening for Grover, Washington. And they treated me so bad. They, you know, my my dressing room was the bathroom, Uh, and and uh, and I'm like getting dressed. And I figured it was my dressing room, and like people start coming in using the bathroom. Like, wait, wait, wait. This is my dressing room. And they're like, no, this is the bathroom. And I go up on stage, and the piano. The guy during the sound check wouldn't give me a piano stool. I said, well, I need to play. He says, he he, what did he say? He says, I'm warming up and stuff. He says, we'll give you a piano stool when the piano player gets here. And I said, well, I am the I am the piano. I'm the opening act. And I said, "Well, listen, y'all, I'm gonna play real jazz for you, and this and that, and and, and boy, they heckle the hell out of me, man. I went off stage, I cried. I called Wynton that very night from backstage in tears. I said they hated me, man. And I can't, I can't go on like this. Nobody's gonna like me, and and uh and, and I'm not trying to get a sympathy k- kick out of this, but but uh but I found that if you stick to, to your guns, and that, that that it'll come across. But that's the only time."
1: I think you will find a Friday night, the 19th, at the Chicago Theater a slightly different Yeah, reaction.
2: and also, people don't like opening acts in general. I mean, people <laughs> yeah. come to hear the, 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 the main act, you know. Do nothing till
0: you hear from me. Some kiss may cloud my memory. And other arms may hold a thrill. But please do nothing till you hear it from me. Never will
1: Stories this man tells. <laughs> Do nothing till you hear from me. Now, that's from the Harry Connick Jr. album that came out uh, late in '87, an album called 20, which is still available. Of course, Harry Connick Jr. now um, is approaching stardom because the album that went with the movie when Harry met Sally, of course, is, I think he told us, almost sold something like half a million copies, which is a lot for an album. How does a guy like Harry Connick Jr. get a record contract? Because what you're doing on record, at least when you had your first Columbia album in 87... 87, 87, ...wasn't really... The sort of thing that was a big seller. I mean, <laughs> it still isn't a big seller. <laughs> hey, listen, when Harry met Sa- Sally is going to go what a half a million units easily.
2: It looks like it's heading towards that now. Yeah.
1: But anyway, back to the first album. How do you get a record contract?
2: Well, it's it, it's different. I mean, my my story is pretty uneventful. They had a guy named uh, uh, Wynton Marsalis, who I'm sure many people have heard of. <laughs> yes. And uh, Wynton mentioned my name to Dr. George Butler, who who signed myself, Wynton Branford. Most of the he's the head of the jazz department at CBS Records, and should. Be be credited for bringing acoustic jazz music back from almost com- complete obscurity. I think in the 1970s. Anyway, um, he heard me play. George Butler heard me play at a at a jazz convention. I won a competition uh, along with some other musicians, young musicians. it was called the National Association of Jazz Educators. And he said, "When you get to New York, give me a call." And I called him every day for six months. He never called me back. And he knew all the while. I find out in retrospect that he was. Gonna sign me, but uh... he just didn't return my calls. He said you're too young. Just, just wait a while. And he signed me when I was, I think, 18. And I said I'm gonna be the biggest thing since, since uh, Michael Jackson. And then and the record came out. And in fact, I wore the clothes, which were kind of strange looking to the record store the day the record came out hoping that people would like recognize me and like ask me for my autograph and i said do you have the new harry connick jr record and i'm like standing in the same position that i did on the album cover they're like who are you talking about you know they still do that as a matter of fact
1: you do have a a, a way with clothes uh uh somewhere between i don't know buster poindexter and (laughs) i don't know
2: (laughs) well you know it's funny i I think that most young people like to dress fashionably, you know. I think as you, my daddy always tells me, he says, "Why don't you just let your hair dry naturally and stop putting all that stuff in?" And I said, "Well, daddy used to do it too. In fact, one day he put olive oil in his hair and he went to a dance at, at his at his grammar school and the girls dancing with him because he ran out of brilliantine, three flowers brilliant team. <laughs> sure. and, she, and she said, "Well, something smells like olive oil around here." My, my daddy ran out of the dance. But but young people do those things. They they dress kind of funny, you know, and they and they. Slick their hair back. Those, those are things that all young people do. And somehow the press has sort of attached me like a to a big gimmick uh, marketing plan that my record company organized. But I, I've been dressing kind of strange and in what I think is fashionably, and, and putting hair care products in my hair since I was 14 years old. So
1: you usually wear a jacket on stage. I always
2: wear a suit and have my band wear a suit. Mm-hmm. I, that's out of respect for Louis Armstrong and Frank Sinatra and Nat Cole, and out of respect for an era in America when cleanliness and, and respect and, and, and intelligence and nobility were important, uh, as opposed to now when disrespect and drugs and, and, and promiscuity and things like that seem, seem to have risen above uh, things I feel are important.
1: You know, it's amazing you were born and brought up in an area of America, New Orleans, known for great music, but also known as, a, as kind of a hotbed of some of those less desirable elements oh, yeah. that you just spoke of. Right. I mean, here, this is all around you. Right, you obviously have not succumbed.
2: Right, I didn't. I stayed away from dope, and I don't. I used to drink a little bit when I was, you know, early teens. I went on a binge for about two years, and then I said, "I, I'm Irish. I better quit now." (laughs) And I did. And uh, and Tony Bennett, in fact, told me a few months ago, I used to smoke." And he told me to quit smoking, and, uh, and I did. And I, and I don't mess with, besides, if my dad ever caught me smoking pot or doing any kind of drug, he told me, he said, not only would I con- uh, prosecute you and convict you, your mother would sentence you. So don't mess up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know some of you are probably scratching your heads and saying, wait a minute, did I just hear that 22-year-old kid say what I thought he said? Well, he's an unusual young man, and he has the strength of his convictions. And he also is a terrific entertainer, as you will hear shortly, and you'll find that out. Next Friday night, when this young man, Harry Connick, Jr., entertains with the big 30-piece band, uh, they call it the When Harry Met Sally Tour, live here in Chicago. At Chicago Theater. In fact, Ticketmaster uh, is the outlet for for ticket sales, if you're interested. A couple of people called and said, gee, can you get, yeah, tickets are still available. The Ticketmaster people, same people who sell you the Cub tickets, uh, 559-1212. That's how you get them. Hi, Cynthia. You've been waiting a while. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Harry. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? I'm fine. First, let me preface my question with saying that I am a very avid jazz fan.
2: All right. In my
1: opinion, not New Age or Fusion. Yeah, you're right. There's
2: a big, big difference. (laughs)
1: Yes, there is. But I was curious as to your opinion about pop music and whether or not you've been approached to perform and/or record pop music.
2: Yes, I have. And uh, I mean, I grew up on Stevie Wonder and 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 the stuff. You know, everybody grows up on pop music because pop music, like Frank Sinatra, Duke Ellington, wasn't pop. You know, that was that was pop 50 years ago. We all grew up on rock and roll. And and I've been approached to do it. The only thing I would ever do that would be close to that would be New Orleans sort of rhythm and blues which is sort of the beginnings of funk music which really isn't funk and it involves acoustic piano basically like professor long here but i'm glad that somebody young and you sound young uh understands the difference between jazz and fusion and stuff and i have to be fair to the john coltrane fans out there like myself Mm -hmm. uh because like i do a lot of, like when i sing for example on but not for me um i mean can you really call that jazz well i guess it it fits. In, it's, it doesn't really swing, and it's not a lot of improvisation in it. But, but it's just nice to hear that somebody knows that I'm not going to mention any names. But, but musicians who play then you hear sax player play. You know what I mean? That's not jazz. That's funk music. Mm-hmm. What I try to do is, is acoustic American music, uh, and I'm glad I'm glad to hear somebody young recognizes
1: that. Well, I really have to thank you and some of the other younger jazz artists out now who are uh, performing acoustic, for turning people in our generation and younger on to jazz. That really does my heart good, because um, it so saddens me to think how unappreciate, you know, how people unappreciate the jazz form.
2: Yes, yeah, it, believe me. I, I mean, I have extremely strong uh, wills about what's going to happen in the 1990s, and
1: it's going to come back. Good. What's, pop, what's going to happen to pop music in the 1990s? I mean,
2: see, I, I, mean, I think rock and roll is fun. And the reason I think it's fun is I'd much rather go see a rock and roll concert than some jazz concerts cause, or, or maybe some even classical concerts. Because quite frankly, to sit in a jazz club and watch four people on the stage who don't talk, don't sing, don't make you clap your hands, have no lyrics... That's boring to me. I mean, I, I, I understand what they're doing, and I can do it too, but the reason I listen to Louis Armstrong is because he makes you smile. How many times can you put on an Errol Garner record and not smile? <laughs> right. How many times can you listen to Frank Sinatra unless he's singing Only the Lonely and not smile and dance? That's, that's what music is all about. And uh, in the 1990s, uh, jazz, I am gonna, I'm on a personal crusade in the Wynton Marsalis Army to, to make people understand <laughs> what, that, what jazz is. It doesn't involve rock, music it doesn't involve uh, synthesized saxophones. Uh, it may one day involve synthesizers, but, but I don't think electronics have been used to their full potential yet.
1: Didn't you study uh, with Wynton's daddy?
2: I sure did, Ellis Marsalis, who, who is uh, one of the greatest pianists alive today. In fact, I just played with Wynton and Ellis uh, in New Orleans a few nights ago, and, and what a thrill it was. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Can you remember the first time you uh, went into a little club uh, somewhere in New Orleans? and discovered that, hey, man, that's what I want to do. Well, I, as I mentioned
2: earlier, when I played at my daddy's inauguration, that was the first time I, set, I wanted to do it. And my parents used to take me down to Bourbon Street, and I used to sit in at all the clubs down there. My dad they, is a recognizable figure in New Orleans and approached some of the musicians probably when geez, I mean, this is Seventy-four, maybe or something, and I was a little kid, six or seven, and he said, my son plays piano. Can Would you let him play a song with you? And they sort of said, okay, Mr. Connick, we'll let, we'll let him play.
1: Well, he is the district <laughs> he attorney. He is the What are
2: you going to say to him? No, no. So uh, 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 I played, and, and I used to go back every weekend and and until I was about 13 when finally the late Johnny Horn, who was one of the fantastic trumpet players down there, uh, said called me up and said, Harry, we need a piano player starting tonight all this week from 11 to 3 at night. Can you do it? And I looked at my daddy. I said, Johnny Harmon wants me to play a gig. Can I do it? And he said, yes. And I said, Daddy, I'm, I'm 13, man. I can't stay out that late. Well, he was doing stuff in the French Quarter, dealing with the heroin rings and prostitution stuff, and and he was there anyway, and kept an eye on me when I, when I was at the club at the Famous Door. So,
1: did anybody ask you uh, to uh, like to go on the road with him or anything uh, like that? I'm, Buddy Rich
2: asked me when I was about nine if I wanted to go in his band, <laughs> and uh, and I used to I used to say. Uh, uh, daddy, why do they smoke those those funny smelling brown cigarettes like that? And he says, "Son, that's why I, I'm not letting you go on a roll with you." You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> did you ever? Uh, you mentioned Mahalia Jackson a little while ago. Did you ever uh, play at church? Uh...
2: Oh yes, I'm. I i, I did not grow up in the Baptist church. I'm a Catholic, but I spent man, my daddy when he was running. I mean, of course, the, in the in the in a, when you deal with politics, you have the white voting population and the black voting population, and in a city like New Orleans, it's about half and half. And my dad's white and. And needed, of course, to get as much black support as he needed white support, and he would uh, take go go to the churches on Sundays with sure. me. Well, where, where that that was a large congregation, just like he would go to the white churches too or white functions, whatever he went to, and uh, and I would play. He'd say, "I got my Sunday. You mind if you play?" And I'd play "People Get Ready" or or or, or, or just a closer walk with dear, whatever song I was playing, and uh, or what you know, and and I learned a lot of gospel music that way.
1: A lot of. I'm amazed at how many uh, musicians actually survived during the early years, you know, playing at a, whether it's a Catholic mass or a Baptist service. I mean, because, you know, sometimes a guy's got to make his way.
2: Yeah, I did it in New York. I went up to play, I used to play the Empire Diner from about till about four o'clock in the morning I used to go uptown to 92nd Street I lived at the Y that's when I first moved to New York and I'd take a shower and I'd change and I'd take the train up to 171st Street and Webster Avenue which is Webb in the South Bronx which is where a young white man doesn't want to go well young or old anybody doesn't want to go at this point in time and I would played uh, two services and I'd be so tired the first service was in English and I'd play the Catholic Mass, and the second one was a, a, a predominantly Hispanic uh, Mass, and, uh, and I, I couldn't understand it, so I didn't know the cues, and I'd be falling asleep, and I'd hear, jarito, 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 jarrito, jarithe, jarittle, jarittle. <laughs> and I'd play, Santo, 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 san- dot, 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 you know,
1: like that. And, and so I spent a lot of time in church, you know. Harry Connick Jr. Hi, Gene.
0: Hi. What's Hi, Jean. up? I really love when Harry met Sally. I bought my husband a CD player for Christmas, and this was the first
2: thing I bought him. Oh, wow. Which, I heard it on your station, and when I gave it to him, he had no idea what it was, and he kind of said, oh, gee, thanks. Right. And after he played it, he went crazy over it. Wow. And his whole family liked it, and we were wondering
0: what he's planning to produce in the near future. We went out right after Christmas and bought everything we could get our hands on. Oh,
2: gee. Well, are you talking about stereo equipment or my albums? Uh, your albums. <laughs> because Sony makes fine products too now. They also own my record company, so I had to plug that. No, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because I've, I'm a singer and I'm a piano player, and I love to do both of those things. And I, was, I don't want to insult my jazz uh piano playing by singing and I don't want to insult my I don't mean to insult I meant to say distract. I don't want to distract my singing from my piano playing. There's a lot of hardcore jazz fans who hate it when I sing. So oh. I'm doing it they they really do. And there's a lot of people who hate it when I play. They just all they do is want to is hear me sing, which is make makes it confusing. So I approached the president of my record company, Danny Heiner, and I said, "Mr. Heiner, how can I uh, change this?" And and we had a plan and he said we'd do two albums. So in the in the spring, uh i'm proud to say i'm releasing two albums at the same time one is going to be a trio record all instrumental all jazz this the, the other one is going to be an all swing album and they're and, and people say you don't write your own music you don't do this you don't do that well not only am i going to write it i'm going to sing it i'm going to play piano on it i'm going to arrange it i'm going to i'm going to just do about everything and produce it and and I, I hope, I hope it's good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks, You're Jeannie. You're
0: going to be so busy. Well, keep up
2: the good work. You are great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay.
1: This is fun. You, you ever thought... Have you ever thought of like doing radio did you were you one of those guys who like had a mo- make believe microphone and... i
2: i've always wanted to do what you do and i 've told that to many announcers and no one be- believes me And I used to <laughs> practice my w 's i used to there's a can i mention another oh station sure in oh. The, it's the station in my normal language, in my normal way of speaking is w w i w but I used to practice. W W I W F M. Nice to practice that all the time. <laughs> Very it's 92 good. 92 degrees in the Crescent City, 42 at the Cascade <laughs> Stable. And I used to do that all the time, you know, because I wanted to do what you do, and, and what you you blow me away.
1: Oh, man, I would like. Hey, listen, it's mutual. I would like to do what, what you do, and that is to just, uh... It, it's so unusual, I think, in this day and age. I'll tell you who you remind me of, and I we just finished... Uh, uh, on the Roy Leonard Show, uh, sort of an anniversary of the, the decade. And I went back over the tapes of all of the people that I have talked to over the past 10 years, and we selected one- certain ones to play. And we played them uh, last week. And I remember uh, I repeated about four minutes of an interview with Dustin Hoffman, and I'd mm. never known anybody who is as passionate mm. about what he does. Mm. On the other hand, I played four minutes of an interview that I once did with Lena Horne. Mm-hmm. And I have never—I I had forgotten what a passionate, powerful, <clears throat> beautiful lady she is. Oh, she is. She's too. amazing. Yeah.
2: You have to have. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm lucky, you know. I mean, I, I think I can play the piano pretty good, and I sing okay, and and I, I'm an okay entertainer and all that. But, but I'm—I'm I'm lucky because I love. I've always known what I wanted to do, and I just—I mean, like I—I I won't do certain things. You know what I mean? I've gone to radio stations where they say we have a little electronic keyboard here. Will you play it? I say no. They say why not? I'm like well because I i got big shoulders and i 'll break it for one and two i don 't play that stuff. I play jazz and people have young people have to know i don 't want young people singing. I want your sex. I want young people singing um, uh, th- songs that are pleasant you know and it doesn 't necessarily have to mean pennies from heaven because there are sad things that are going on in the world today too, and there were sad songs back then, but it doesn 't have to be blatant i mean if you 're in a movie i 'll never you 'll never see me take my shirt off in a movie you 'll never hear me swear in a movie, although I had to. They almost threatened to boot me off the set if I didn't say the F word in this movie. And I I begged the director, I said, please don't make me say it. Because my Aunt Jessie's going to be watching. And and he said, either you say, either you say this word might or you're going to be off the set. So I, I said, well, let me make a career decision. And I, and I said the F word. So. Don't think I'm contradicting myself when you hear me say it. But what I'm trying to say is that I don't think, I want young people to grow up with something pleasant. I want them to latch on to something that's meaningful and, and intelligent. Not to say that I'm meaningful and intelligent, but I'm attempting to be. And I think that if I do it and I become popular at it, then other
1: people will do the same you are looking forward to coming back on Friday the nineteenth? Oh, are you I can't wait! I
2: can't wait! But I, what's this warming stuff? Y'all talking about the weather's warm? Well, we wanted to make. Well, I walked over here because you, my friend said it was warm. <laughs> it is. What do you mean? I it's... come in here like got my lips uh, uh, on my neck. It's, hey, come on! It's thirty degrees. <coughs> thirty degrees. Man, I come from the Crescent City, man.
1: <laughs> and he'll be back on Friday, January the nineteenth. This is. We're going to do this again sometime. All right? By all means, Harry Connick Jr. <laughs>
0: If they asked me, I could write a book About the way you walk and whisper and look And the simple secret of the plot Is just to tell them that I love you so long as my book in How to Make